All right. Well, looks like we're a little after eight, so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, kudos to everyone who showed up at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Uh, I strongly considered not showing up, so you're doing great for being here. Um, it's, it's an honor that you yeah, chose to be with this group this morning. There's lots of, there were like so many options this morning. I couldn't believe it. It's like they, they really double up. Some of them were really good, so hopefully all of them. Uh, so a little bit about me. So Michael Chafin, my wife Emily is here. We work in Tempe, Arizona. We've been in Arizona for about seven years. And we're, I asked one of my coworkers this morning, how would you describe our church? And they said, weird. <laughs> so we're kind of a weird Church of Christ. Um, several years ago, before I got on the scene, I've been at, with this church about three years. Um, the leadership was kind of discerning with God, do we still need to exist or not? And they felt like God's answer after a process was, yes, you do, um, but not in your current form. And so, yeah, to their great credit, this church in Tempe uh, that's been there for 90 plus years, so a lot of tradition, um, said, we're going we're gonna to do what God wants us to do. And so they set out this list of 10 things they felt like they needed to improve or change. And after three years, we've made significant progress on like seven of those 10 which is, to me, very impressive. Uh, and I've just got to come in and be along for the ride for that. And so it's, I get like all the benefit and <laughs> of other people's hard work, which is often true for us in life, I think. Um, but I just, I love the church we're at. And um, so a lot of what our class today came out of was the sermon series, two sermon series that we did last year. So you got 45 minutes on a Wednesday morning at eight. You cover as many chapters of the Bible as you can, I think. So we're just gonna tell as many Jesus stories as we can. Uh, which is where I want us to begin. So, do you have a favorite Jesus story? What is it and why? Do you have a favorite Jesus story? Briefly tell it to me, and, and why is that your favorite? Uh, my favorite would be when their disciples are picking grain on Sabbath. Um, because they're like, you are doing this and you are wrong. And he never says... Like, he doesn't deny, like, their charge. He's like, you just don't understand it. You know, he's like, yeah, technically, you know, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. But you don't understand the mercy of it. And mm. it's, it's sort of the Jesus who is not obsessed with rules, but is obsessed with human flourishing. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think it was in this series last year we did... We're in Luke now, we were in Matthew last year, so I'm running these together, so I won't even talk, but thanks, that was great. <laughs> what, other, what other favorite Jesus stories? Also, if somebody just wants to keep a tally of how many we can get in in 45 minutes, I think that'd just be fun. It's not official, okay. we won't report. All right, we've got one. So. Uh, mine's any that he's speaking with women, so okay. all of it. He's talking with women and yeah. giving a message to women. So that's the Gospel of Luke all over the place. Everywhere he speaks to a man, you turn around the next story, he's speaking to a woman and... and Lots of parallels there, so thank you. All right, we'll count that as one. We're going to be in Matthew 8 through 13, by the way, if you want to open up your Bibles in a minute. So we're going to cover a pretty large section of Scripture, and I think you'll see why I named this class what I did. So, Ron? Well, I like the Luke 7, where John's disciples go and ask him if, you know, if he's the Christ or they wait for another. And I like the way Luke... Puts in there at that moment he was healing all these people, so it's a, it's almost a joke. You yeah. see Jesus saying, "Really, you have to ask." Yeah, just, but it shows. Just observe where the tension is. Yeah. Is this what we're going to be doing? You know, you go back and tell John this, and blessed is the one who's not offended by my 
Yeah, and that shows up in Matthew, our section today. That story does in Matthew as well. Any others? That's three. We got three. I figure if you like talk a lot about Jesus, the class was not a total waste. That you know, there's something really good that's going to come out of it. Any other favorite Jesus stories before I share mine? I, I, I think one about the, uh, particularly when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, uh, mm. and just how to, that that would just be unheard of for a Jewish man to do that. And but at, at, right near the end of that story, it says that uh, so he his disciples come back and say, "Why are you talking to the woman?" And then she brings the the town out, and uh, and they invite them to come and stay. And so they went and stayed. It says they went and stayed with the Samaritans mm. for two days. And I just try to imagine the disciples <laughs> going and staying in Samaritan homes yeah. <laughs> for two days. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like the story where um, Jesus had rose from the dead, and he was going down this road, Damascus Road, and um, one of the disciples, he didn't know who he was. Yeah. And, and Jesus was saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you so down? Haven't you heard? Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what they want to ask him, right? Where Are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? Right, right. But Jesus I love keeps walking and walking. Yeah. And then they have a, a, a dinner, and Jesus breaks out the bread. Yeah. And then they say, oh, my, we know who you are now. Yeah. Weren't our hearts burning? Yeah. yeah. That's great. I love that one. That, that one also kind of subtly fits into our theme today of just oh. this curious behavior of Jesus, the hiddenness of Jesus. Nice. Um, he's not... Like, post-resurrection, people have a hard time recognizing him. You know, the disciples think he's a ghost when he enters the upper room. These two disciples don't know who he is until he reveals himself. Um, oh, what's the other one? Oh, Mary thinks he's a gardener. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it's this really strange, like, oh, we didn't see you there, Jesus. Uh, we thought you were somebody else. Um, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate these. So I'll just go ahead and share mine for the sake of moving us along for time. So in John... It's hard to pick a favorite Jesus story, right? Like, the, he's got some good ones. Uh, but John 7, um, <laughs> his brothers, uh, they don't believe in him. And so they say, you know, it's time for the festival of booths. Why don't you go on down, you know, leave Galilee. It's time to go to Judea and really show yourself. Because no one who wants to be known does these things in secret. So go ahead, show yourself to the world. Show your disciples. And, and show off for your disciples, really, seems to be what they're saying. Um, because no one, no one who's anyone does things in this secret, hidden way. Go, go be known, it's time. And he says, well, any time's good for you, but it's not a good time for me. I'm not going this year. And so they go ahead and go, and then he goes. <laughs> Which is just like, Jesus lied. <laughs> Jesus lied. And it's so, I love these stories. I've been really drawn the last year or two to these stories of um, where Jesus doesn't do, like he's great at upsetting expectations as it is with love your enemy and all these things, but but then you turn around and he does these really odd things, these curious, questionable, like, what? What are you doing, Jesus? And so that's, that's kind of part of this curious theme that I find in Matthew 8 through 13. So in 2021, 
we did the Sermon on the Mount from January to August, and we did those three chapters of Matthew in our teaching series for like seven months. I don't know how many months that is, however many months January to August is. And we just sat there, and it was beautiful. And, and I, it was like people were starting to joke that it was the never-ending story because like Michael's never gonna, like he doesn't know there's any other Bible to talk about because this is all we're doing. And, um, but I was so in love with what we were doing there, I was like, okay, we're, we're done. We're, it's August, Sermon on the Mount's over. What do we do now? How do I keep going in Matthew? So we just kept going in Matthew 8 through 13, which is what we're talking about today, this section of uh, Jesus doing these really curious things. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, he says, the person who hears what I have to say and puts them into practice is like this wise builder, right? And so what Jesus has said, all these really profound thoughts in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, show me if you understood by the way you behave. Show me what wisdom is by the way you respond. And I think it's interesting because then he also, he takes up as he steps down from that mountain, Sermon on the Mount, it's just by default that he's going to do the same, right? So we were looking at 8 through 13 uh, as our follow-up series of like, okay, what does wisdom look like? Not just sound like, but how does Jesus take all those things he just said and put it into action? And I, I didn't have any plan for like, I didn't like have all my points all made out and then we wrote sermons around them. I was like, okay, let's just see what this looks like. And so we just kept asking those questions every week as we looked at these stories right after the Sermon on the Mount. So what's the Sermon on the Mount look like in action? And Matthew 8 through 13 seems to be that. So Matthew, is, as you may know, is broken up into kind of these five discourse sections. There's a narrative section, there's a discourse section, and each one ends with when Jesus finished saying this. And so the Sermon on the Mount and then 8 through 13 are the first three of these. Um, N.T. Wright calls these, he says they're like those piles of rocks called cairns, and it's like how you mark the path, and it's kind of how Matthew's giving a nod to like the five books of the law. So we're going to talk really quickly about those first three in Matthew, about what does embodied wisdom look like. Um, and the theme that came out of chapters 8 through 13 that just kept jumping off the page at me as I was studying for these lessons was this theme of hiddenness. How Jesus would do something, and then he would say, but don't tell anybody about this. And I was really struck by that because, okay, this is the wisdom of God. This is like the best course of action given the circumstances and the situation. This is the wisdom of God. And Jesus does things in such surprising and not practically wise ways, it seems. Um, so a couple of reasons why I think it's really important to talk about hiddenness before we look at... Um, all the ways hiddenness shows up in these several chapters of Matthew. Um, hiddenness touches, I think, on our deepest questions as human beings. Uh, suffering, right? Where was God when? Why did he seem so far away, so distant, so, so not present with us? Where was God when? Questions kind of speak to this disconnect that we often feel. Uh, Bertrand Russell has that famous quote, Why did you take such pains to hide yourself? Someone asks him, like, what would you say to God if you met God? Because he didn't believe in God. And he said, well, I would just ask him, why, why did you behave the way you did? <laughs> you, you seem to be doing a great job of cosmic hide-and-seek. I think hiddenness speaks to the objective nature of reality. And so we know that there is more to the world than meets the eye. No matter what we're looking at, there's just more to everything than what we see on first glance, right? You can always go deeper and deeper and deeper, all the way down to, like, quantum level, right? Um, and, and just for fun, <laughs> I think I had our whole church do this. Like if you just shut one eye and then you hold your opposite hand out here and you move it out and like, right, I can't see this if you just keep looking forward. I can't see my fingertip right here. We just got this giant blind spot right in front of us. So there's something about the nature of reality 
Oh, sorry, I'm moving El Paso. This is this is always the fun part is when like everyone's like still like I, I still see my finger like I don't know what you, anyway. It's like okay, come back to the group. Um, there's something about the objective nature of reality where we realize there's a lot we don't see when we're looking. It's just that's how the world works. And also on the subjective side of things, this is how life works. There are things that happen within me in any given moment that aren't happening within you, and you don't see it. Um, so I've got all my hidden motives and all my, my feelings, all my inner workings, um, things that I'm doing, things that I'm feeling that you have no idea. The way I experience this situation right now is not at all how you're experiencing this situation, right? And so that's just part of the nature of reality that there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that's hidden. Um, there's a lot that is not available to us um, unless we keep looking for it. Uh, I'll save this other one for the end. Just the wisdom of this is how Jesus chooses to behave after he gives us this beautiful, wise teaching. He says, and here's what it looks like, basically. And so I think it's worth sitting with. So that's what we're going to do with the rest of our class time this morning is just sit with these um, hidden moments. So somebody want to grab these? And, yeah. so everyone needs to get one. I'm going to keep one for me, too. My notes look a little different. So I've got about 12 different ways I've listed on this page. That in Matthew chapter 8 through 13, there's about 12 different ways that this theme of hiddenness shows up. So I'll wait for just a second until everybody gets one of these and we'll run through this. Everybody get one? All right. So there's, like I said, about 12 different ways that I've, this is just a list that I compiled myself. It's not academic. Um, some of these categories overlap, the parables towards the end there and things hidden since the world began. They, they have a lot of overlap, but I think they're separate for a reason. So anyway, this is just my list that I came up with. Um, and the question that I was asking our church as we were going through this series is, what does Jesus' use of hiddenness reveal about the Father? And so he's choosing this very secretive, curious, questionable way of behaving and interacting with all these different people, or not interacting with people sometimes. Um, and I want to know, what does that teach us about the nature of God? This is what Jesus mission is, is to, so that we know the Father. That's eternal life, right? To know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so if this is Jesus' mission, and this is how he's doing it, this is pretty critical. So there's something about the nature of God that says, this is wisdom, this is the way to go. Um, and I wonder what we learn from that, um, because it seems so opposite what our practical, um, just normal way of being is. Uh, so many of these. So uh, examples here's in this chart. I'll just run down the left side and then the right. Three different times in Matthew 8 through 13 alone, Jesus heals someone and then says, I don't want you to tell anybody. Please keep this to yourself. In the first case, that's not exactly true because he says, I don't tell anyone except these. So he has a very specific audience with the first group. But the, other, the second two times, don't tell anybody. So heals people and then says, keep it quiet. Interesting. Okay. Um, he's often withdrawing from the crowd. So just to Matthew chapter 8 as it's beginning, the crowd is forming because they say, hey, he can heal, he can do all these amazing things. And he says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. So, okay, you've got your audience. What are you doing? Like, why, why are you running away from these people? Um, uh, two of the people that try to catch him in that scene, just following that, in Matthew 8, 18 through 22, he has some pretty harsh responses or seemingly insensitive responses to them. This is where 
he says, uh, let the dead bury their own dead, right? And, uh, and what was the other one? Uh, it's not coming to me off the top of my head. Have the yeah, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You, are you up for that? You know, and, and it kind of leaves the story open-ended. We don't know what these two guys do, but he seems to really just kind of like hit them, just cuts them to the quick, both of them, exactly how they need to be cut, I think. Um, but anyway, just kind of like, wow, that was harsh, Jesus. Like, <laughs> didn't you bury Joseph, I bet? You know, like, I bet you did that. Like, so why are you being so hard on this guy? Uh, so anyway, just kind of mysterious, harsh. Like, why why that response in this situation versus all the other things you could have said to this person who said, hey, I'll follow you. Um, he knows people's hidden motives. In, in chapter 9, you have the story of the paralytic, right? And he, he, he's, he forgives him of his sins, right, as well as healing him. He hasn't healed him yet when they're thinking this, but they're like, oh, who is this man? And Jesus knows what they're thinking. So... Not only does he behave in ways that are all not always um, on the surface, he knows what's happening beneath the surface with the people he's interacting with. Uh, and that happens again in chapter 12. Um, he says that if you want to find your life, you will lose your life, which is just another way of saying you will hide it, right? <laughs> like it's going to be hidden away from you. Uh, later on in the New Testament, Paul says, if, if you have um, died to the world and your life is hidden with Christ, so you see this thing pop up again. Um, Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 10, he talks about how whatever you do for, for these, my little ones, you're doing it to me, right? If you give a cup of cold water, the Father will not forget. He will reward you. So there's like this sense of vicariousness where it's like, oh, we were interacting with Jesus and we didn't know it. Kind of like we were talking about earlier with the amazing, but even another step removed, so it seemed, because it's, it's not Jesus as himself, but yet there's some sense in which it is. By being kind, by sharing the love of God, um, you are interacting with Jesus unseen, vicariously. But even closer than vicariously. It's like, no, this is like, you did it for me. Um, there's a lot, lot to wrap your mind around there. Um, the, the story about John. Uh, the disciples come from John the Baptist to say, are you the one or do we seek somebody else? And so he gives this really kind of kingdom code, uh, is the way I think about that response, where I think... He answers the question John doesn't ask. <laughs> and so there's, like, not only is there hiddenness in what Jesus is doing, even how he's talking, what he has to say is veiled, except to those who need to hear it, and they get it. And so I think John knows exactly what Jesus is saying. So there's a question John asks, are you the one? And then there's the one he doesn't ask. It's probably having to do with, like, and do I get to get out of jail or not, <laughs> right? And uh, Jesus says, no, you don't. But he doesn't ever say it, but he does. Um, so just hidden messages. Um, Jesus points out our blind spots in chapter 11 of Matthew. Um, he's, it's, this, again, it's kind of somewhat related to hidden motives, but he's saying this is how you're behaving, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, I think this is the story where he's saying, you know, you're like the children who are in the marketplace, and you're playing a dirge, or you're playing a joyful, and, and, and no one's in beat. Like, everybody's out of step. Um, which I love that story because it can go two different ways. Like, it can be John the Baptist and Jesus, I think, who are the ones playing, and the Pharisees are out of step. Or it can go the other way, where the Pharisees are the ones saying, here's, how the, here's the game, and you play it, and you get in line. And Jesus is not, he's out of step. He's not going to. And so it works both ways. And so it's really genius, the way Matthew tells that story. Um, his, hidden fa his family shows up, so there's hidden family. And so again, kind of related to the you did it to me um, type of idea. And so the family comes, hey, they, in Mark it tells us they think he's crazy, right? So they come to lay hold of Jesus to take him back home. We've got to get this under control. It doesn't say that in Matthew. Um, 
But they show up to see Jesus, and, and he's like, well, who, who are my mother and my brother and my sister? Those who do the will of my father, right? So everywhere around him, these family connections, people didn't know they had. He says, this is my family. So there's this hidden family motif there as well. Uh, three more. Like I said, the next two are kind of connected. Where, so this one is just like almost the most difficult to wrap my head around of all. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus stands there praying and says, God, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise. Like, here's the best news in the world, and I'm grateful these people don't get it. <laughs> like, that is one of the hardest sayings of Jesus for me to really deal with and figure out what are you doing. Like, okay, I don't understand. Um, uh, in uh, Matthew 13, 35, it says, why is he speaking in parables? He says, well, this fulfills the scripture. And he does this in another section of Matthew as well. This is what fulfills the scripture. I'm speaking things hidden since the beginning of the world. And then the last one is that the kingdom of heaven, what is it like? And he tells these parables about it, right? It's these things that are small, they're hidden away. You don't see them immediately, but they show up. Um, keep looking, you're going to find it. You wait patiently. You're going to find it. it will burst onto the scene, or you'll stumble onto it like this hidden treasure. So be looking. Um, I also love the way he tells that because there's two different treasure stores. There's the pearl and there's the treasure. One of the guys is kind of like just going about his daily routine. He's not really looking for it, but he finds it. And the other guy, this is what he does, and he finds it. Um, so it's just interesting the different way people stumble onto the kingdom. So all that to say, there's hiddenness in my mind. This is just all over the place in Matthew 8 through 13. And Jesus says, by just default, again, this is how I'm inter interpreting this. Since I'm behaving this way, this is what wisdom is. This is the wisest course of action to live out the Sermon on the Mount, to get the good news out into the world. This is how we do this. And my question is, why? <laughs> Why is this the way that, that, that you're acting and behaving? What does Jesus' use of hiddenness reveal to us about the Father? And so I would just love, after I ran through that list, to hear what your initial thoughts are. Like, well, how do you feel about this idea of hiddenness? And, and what, I don't know, how's that sitting with you, all these different, all these different stories? Really big stuff, I know. So. Doesn't that just make sense, though? I mean, there's so much about God that we don't understand. <laughs> I feel like so many people, so many people try to put God in a box, say this is who God should be, and He's not. He's not going to fit in a box. And I just kind of feel like you're going through this, and just, of course, that's how He would teach, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's so much about Him that is beyond our understanding. Yeah. So to put that in another way, you might say that uh, it's necessary for Jesus to kind of keep expanding our. Or imploding our expectations so he can expand them, right? Because, yeah. we're, oh, we've got God right here. He's like, well, he's bigger than that. Maybe there's some truth in that, but it's much bigger. Um, okay, uh, Ron? Yeah, uh, uh, the one thought could be, like when we work with immigrant communities or uh, homeless or, you know, uh, women in prostitution, their secrecy is to control the narrative because I'm a white, educated, housed male. I pose a threat to a lot of so there, uh, as well as anybody else in position of power. So the secrecy can be a way of controlling the narrative, which a thought would be Jesus did that in you know, Roman-occupied Palestine, but also the Pharisees. But the goal then would be, like when Paul talks about you know, manful wisdom being revealed in the church, or John saying, after this happened, we realized it was this, you know, revelation or accident. The idea of the church, therefore, 
releases the narrative. Mm. So, so the secrecy controls the narrative in a minority population, but once they get power, the narrative is released and it goes to the world. And so, mm. that it, it could be that that's a thought. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be the right, but that is a uh, social. Yeah, I think there are multiple answers yeah. here, right? And so I think the pacing of the message seems to be one of them. You know, he'll say things like, my time hasn't come yet. And so there's definitely like, okay, maybe later, but not now. Um, and so that, that comes out. I mean, that's what he says to his brothers in that very first story that I told, right? Well, you can do things whenever you want, but I, it's not my time. Um. I'm kind of interested in it as a pedagogical tool. Like I'm thinking a lot of the, the Dunning-Kruger effect they talked about where there's usually an inverse response between your confidence and your knowledge base. Mm -hmm. People who learn a little bit of something are really confident they understand it. And then the more that you learn, the less confident, ironically, that you get because you understand yeah. this. And I feel like this is a little bit to defeat that. I feel like if Jesus just went out and just said like, this is the truth, this is the way to do it, this is what's right. He would have 12 cocky, arrogant, obnoxious people going around just trying to, you know, it'd be like freshman Bible majors. Just yeah. like, I took New Testament intro and I understand the New Testament now. So it, it would be like you'd come upon a Samaritan village and they don't receive you well and you're like, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on these people? Like, could, should we do that? That happens here in Matthew 8 through 13, right? And so he's like, no, of course not. Like, what are you thinking? Like, no, where but, did you get that? But it keeps them on their toes. By putting everything in a sort of a shroud of mystery, Peter just can't do what he's prone to do and get out ahead of his skis because he's like, I'm not even sure what he said today, so I can't yeah. really re you know, enforce it on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love the transfiguration scene where it's like Peter's just like babbling basically because he does he's so scared and he doesn't know what's going on, you know, and it's just like it points out very clearly because he had no idea <laughs> what else to do. <laughs> yes, sir. I think there's also something about Jesus is commended for his humility in Philippians 2. And if he's trying to show us the Father, then humility is an attribute of the Father. Mm. And so, on the one hand, to read Revelation, it's all about praising and glorifying and honoring God. But part of a characteristic of God that we don't often think about is God's humility. Yeah. And for Jesus, not calling attention to what he's doing is your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, lo I love that. That's, so that's the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is, you can trust that God will remember this. Um, God notices. And that that is God's nature. Yeah. I thought it goes along with the, the hidden family. It, it's God's message of love that we're all part of one family. And mm -hmm. so how you treat, you know, strangers, you really should treat them like they're your family. Because God loves us all. Yeah. I don't know. If, okay, so like this is so much stuff. I like there's so many potential rabbit trails. But like I heard somebody at a funeral. I'm just going to say this because it came to mind. Um, <clears throat> I was sitting as a participant at a funeral and this preacher was up there. I don't know his background. Um, but he made this real strong distinction between you can be God's creature or you can be God's child. And I just really hated it. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so we don't have time to go into all the reasons why I hate that. But I, I, I just think that's not true. I just think you are God's child. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> you don't go from creature to child. But anyway, that may be it. Um, like, oh, now, now you're family. Okay. 
Like, I get it. I get why he gets there. But, like, uh, I just don't think that's the truest sense of reality. Like, the hidden truth is that you already are God's child. You just didn't know it yet. By nature of being alive and existing, you are that. <clears throat> I don't know if that's really in Matthew, but that's just where I am. <laughs> what other things, or, or any of these stories stick out to you that you'd like to just jump into a little deeper? We've got 15 minutes left, so. What other ideas about hiddenness jump out at you? So there's this... Uh, God does not want us doing godly things for him. We are to give the cup of water to somebody else, whoever that else is. Mm. It's not about doing it to God, for God. It's, I'm doing it for this person right here in front of me. And if we were only doing things for Jesus' benefit... That's what you would need. Right. He deserves it, right? So, of course. Or, or maybe this is good for me. Like, I get something good out of doing something good for God because he's got the power to reward. But, yeah, this, this person who doesn't deserve it, oh. And Jesus seems to be saying they do actually. <laughs> they do actually deserve that, by the way. And, and so one of, the, one of the things that Jesus is so upset in this section of Scripture with the Pharisees is he, he calls them, like, sons of snakes. Um, he says your fruit is going to show your heart. And that's another way that hiddenness is revealed, right? Um, and so it's not just about keeping things hidden. Not the flip side of that is like it's hiddenness is meant to be discovered. Like you, it's actually a journey of discovery, I think. And so it's not meant to be hidden away forever, but for a time, kind of with the pacing idea. Um, and that is very much a teaching tool. Uh, and when your heart is in a in, is in the place to learn the next lesson and apply it, then then that's what's going to happen. And or if it's not, you're going to know it. And this is actually a good thing for you because, like, however embarrassing that is, uh, it's all the information you need to say, oh, here's a turning point moment. I'm doing something wrong here, you know. And so not, not here, but in, um, in Luke, you have the story where the Pharisee brings Jesus uh, to his home, Simon, right? And then the woman comes in and, and upsets the scene. And the, the Pharisee's standing there thinking, well, if this man were a prophet... He, wouldn't, he would know what, this, what kind of woman this was who's touching him. And Jesus just turns right around and throws it back at him and, and embarrasses this guy publicly. Who's his host? And he says, you know what? You haven't washed my feet, and she's washed my feet with her tears. And he just runs through the list of all the ways Simon hasn't been a good host at all based on just what Jesus knew he was thinking um, and embarrasses him, but not to embarrass him except for the sake of, like, I think this embarrassing moment, Simon, do you see the woman? Like, this could be Simon's turning point. Like, oh, I don't love people, do I? I don't love people. And uh, I think Jesus, when, when he does these really, like, wow, that was harsh, Jesus. I think he says exactly what he needs to say for the person to have this come to Jesus moment, right? Like, oh, I've got some stuff to think about. And uh, it's just so, he's just so genius in speaking right to the heart of the matter. And I think inviting people and giving them the opportunity to turn. Um, back in, in Matthew 8 when he says this thing. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to add this. He's there. He says, from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to wipe my feet. Yeah. Why is a prostitute at a Pharisee's dinner party unless she was invited by him? Mm. So it's, he's, not, he's not just being hard on him. He's, this man is mistreating her woman. He's mm. using her to get at Jesus. And, I mean, he has the right to be harsh. The, the man's so you think it's a setup? I think it's a setup. Oh, okay, yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this, he has a right to be harsh. This guy, 
This guy's a religious leader. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time a Pharisee tried to set up Jesus, right? So well, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. When ex-scholars will say, why would a Pharisee allow a, a, a prostitute at a dinner party? And I'll tell them, uh, how many, what do you think the women we work with say when we say, uh, do you have any clergy as clients? Man, they'll start talking and they'll be like, yeah, it's, it's awful. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a horrible scene and look how Jesus handles it. Yeah. Grace, but also with boldness. Sorry, I just thought... No, that's... Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I've always read that story as her just kind of the uninvited <laughs> intruder, intruder, you know? The movies and, make her out to be the person that yeah, comes in, but yeah. the text, yeah, she's already there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. She was hidden from my sight. I didn't notice, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, just something that popped up in my head when we talked about um, how, how... When you talked about how Jesus just puts them... Just as said, this is what you need. You're, you're doing this wrong. And then they have the turning point... I've had teachers in the past that are like that. They just, they tell you, they correct the behavior, and then they move on, and they let you be the one who kind of is hard on yourself, you know, and like lets you, you, you're like, oh, man, man, you know, but then they move on so that it, it shows that almost forgiveness there, too, where Jesus, like, moves on and is like, okay, this is what you've done wrong, but let's move forward, you know, and that's what teachers would do, and then... I, I would still feel very embarrassed, but I wouldn't feel embarrassed publicly as much. Yeah, and I, I think the way my, like, I want to be liked, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, I'm going to play it by the social rules, and Jesus just, that's not his main concern. He sees beneath that, and he gets enough of the context to where he's like, okay, I think this is what's appropriate, even though it seems very inappropriate to the moment. You know, let the dead bury their undead. Well, like, I can't imagine saying that to anyone who just lost their father. <laughs> Like, what a jerk. Um, but somehow this is, it's the most appropriate thing I think he could have said. Um, and this, this guy needed to hear that. <clears throat> Which is, so this is another just part of the hiddenness thing that's just like by default, I think it, it, it has to be this way. Because the, life is complicated and there's not just this like, well, here's the answer, guys, and I'm going to step back and hope you get the answer. Like, Every situation is so unique and different, and there's all these different things at play based on who's in the room and what they're doing and what their hidden motives are. Um, and so it's not quite so simple as just like, well, here are the three good things from God. Bye, guys. You know, like, it's, it's got to be this, like, we all have to figure this out in real time, one at a time. You don't just, like, set up a good system and then start it spinning, and then hopefully everybody gets it, right? It's like different people need different things in different moments. And so it's almost... It's almost just necessary that things are hidden like this because it's, the, it's going to be a heart moment for each of us, many heart moments for each of us, where it's like, oh, I didn't even know I needed that. You know, I didn't even know that I, what I didn't know. Um, like, that was my feeling at the end of seminary, back to what you were saying earlier, Caleb, about our overconfidence. It's like, it's like I didn't know how much I didn't know, you know? Like, I, I'm, and I'm done with my MDiv now. It's like, man, I, how much did I pay you guys to teach me I'm stupid? It's like, it's just, wow. Lesson learned. <laughs> Lesson learned. I, I, I need to keep learning. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I just, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm just so in love with Jesus after spending the last year. I obviously loved Jesus before, but to, to watch him show us what wisdom is, and, and, and it's not what I would have said the wise thing to do was in almost all of these stories. He does something so curious, right? It's like, wow, that... More questionable most of the time. It's like, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know if they're going to like that. 
Uh, he's like, but it's good. It's what's, it, it is for their best. Um, here's a few core commitments. We're, we're going to wrap up here. I think another way Jesus is able to, well, one, I just kind of said this in different words, but there's no shortcuts to proper growth for each individual. And we grow as people in community, but uh, again, there's something about each individual getting what they need. And so there's no shortcuts to that growth, and this is a sort of discovery process that is necessary for each person, and that's life, and we are invited into it, and, um, and God's got the time to teach each of us. He's got all the time in the world. Um, I love this quote from Einstein. I kind of skipped past this earlier. I just happened to, uh, I was listening to an ebook, and uh, this caught my attention. Uh, Subtle is the Lord, but malicious he is not. And so I really appreciate that because I think a lot of people uh, look at these stories and they think, well, Jesus is holding out on us. And I think a lot of times that is our gut feeling when life isn't going our way. We feel like God is holding out on us. God, you are good. You're a giver of good gifts, but not to me. And I think you're a jerk, you know. Uh, And life is really hard. People have good reason to feel like that. Um, Or so it feels like there's good reason. But God is not holding out on you. Um, And so I, I just appreciate Einstein's inside there subtle is the lord but malicious he is not if you are not getting what you need from god or so you think it is not because god is is holding out on you in any way that is is against it is there's something else going on there's something about this process of discovery um hiddenness is half the story discovery i think is the other half and so here's a few uh, also just compatibility there's uh Sorry, I'm not sure how much time we have left. How much time do we have left? I don't want to rush through this too much. But. Five minutes. All right, five minutes. We've got enough time to do this right. All right. I think for compatibility's sake, um, Jesus has this keep your hands off my kingdom mentality, uh, even with his own disciples. I think Caleb kind of pointed that out earlier. And um, he longs for our questions and our curiosity. And it is shocking how few times people are confused by Jesus, but they do not bother asking him to clarify. They get offended and they walk away. They uh, remain confused, and they're too afraid to ask. It says that once about the disciples. They didn't understand, but they were too afraid to ask. And it's like, why? What, what are you afraid of? Like, ask the question. I, it's like, I think I looked up, Jesus asks 300-plus questions in, in the Gospels, and he's only asked, um, like, 108 or something like that are, are directed at him. And most of those are by the Pharisees who aren't even really asking a real question. They're just trying to trick him, right? And so it's just, where's the sense of curiosity of learners, like I just want to learn instead of worrying so much about being embarrassed and afraid. And it's like, where's the where's the sense of learning and just true desire? Like it would be good for me to know what I'm so wrong about. It would really be good for me to know that. Um, but instead, we save face and we do, we learn how to play the game. Like that, I love that scene in the marketplace because we're just oh, I know how to play the game, and the game is called church. <laughs> and and we keep hiding Jesus from the world because we play the game called church and. Um, yeah, so Jesus is still the best kept secret ever because everyone's talking about him, but nobody knows who he is. That was not a sermon I was planning to preach, but I think it's true. Um, and Jesus also, it's Jesus' prerogative. I, I still don't know exactly what this one's all about, but he says, um, I reveal, I re- it's, uh, I'm not going to get this right. It's in Matthew. <laughs> he basically says, like, um, I reveal the truth of the Father to those whom I choose, basically. It's like, it's up to me. God has revealed, I share what the Father gives me, and I choose who to give it to. And so there's something about Jesus that is very much like, yeah, I'm going to control the pacing of this. Um, And then there's these core commitments, and we'll end with this idea here. 
Um, Jesus says all this in the Sermon on the Mount and then a couple other things right after. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I think this is why Jesus can live out of this secret place because he knows nothing stays secret. Nothing stays secret. Everything comes to light eventually. Uh, your father who sees in secret will reward you. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you will find, he says. So people who want to find, they're going to find it. He doesn't t say when, he just says that you will. And so there's this confidence that Jesus lives out of, that even though things seem confusing, keep seeking, you will find. God wants to teach you. Um, he says nothing, there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing secret that will not be brought out into the open. And that's really good. Like all the worst of me gets brought out into the open so it can be corrected. And all that is good that I don't know about, I'm going to learn that. Um, I've just got to be available to learn it. Uh, he talks about nothing escapes God's notice with a cup of cold water. He talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that gets worked into a lump of dough. And what happens? All the dough gets permeated with this yeast. And so it's like he just, Jesus seems to have this confidence that like, give it time, all of it will get it. All of it. Um, there's nothing that won't be touched by the, by the nature of this kingdom. Uh, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without the Father's notice. And he says, and don't be afraid. Aren't you worth more than many sparrows? God knows. So this is the one I left off at the start. Like, if we are dealing truly with an infinite God, he's necessarily small enough to deal with us. If you were infinite, like a lot of times the argument is like, well, God's too big to care, right? Yeah, sure, he set the world spinning, but he's too big to care. We're ants, you know, something along those lines. Like, that's just not, that doesn't make sense. Like, if God is infinite... He has to be big enough to run the universe. He also has to be small enough to run the universe. Like, he has to know what's going on. Um, in him we live and move and have our very brief, uh, being is kind of that idea. And so to be big enough to run a universe, you have to be small enough to run all the parts of it. Um, that's not like a true, truly formed argument. That just makes sense to me, maybe. <laughs> but, like, you, yeah, to be big enough, you have to be small enough. Um, but you also, like... Since you're that big, you also have to be hidden because it's like, unless you're Jesus kind of finite for us, like here's kind of God for you. It's like the best we can do in human form, here's, here's God. It's pretty great, but God's infinite. He's so much more than that even. And that's why Jesus has to say things like, by the way, I want to tell you so much more, but I'm going to have to send the helper. You're not ready yet. Um, there is God all around us, and we just, it's, it's just, it's like treasure. You're just going to find it. You're going you're to walk around picking it up. Once you catch on to it, it's everywhere. Um, yeah, so then the hiddenness theme carries out throughout the New Testament. Um, and then, let me just finish with this one because I think we're out of time. So Paul says this later on. So yeah, you, the mystery of the gospel, life is hidden in Christ, we see dimly through a glass. This hiddenness is just all through. It's like this is the nature of reality. Um, but this is the hope. This is the hope. And Paul says it like this. Everything, this is Ephesians 5, 13 through 14. Everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light or illuminated by the light. Everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light. I think that is an amazing statement. Everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light or becomes light. It's like this idea that everything God's light shines on gets redeemed. Everything that gets exposed to God becomes godly, but gets made right. Uh, and that, to me, is the biggest gospel I think we could possibly preach. And, like, there is hope in that. Like, no bad thing stays bad, stays ruined. If it, if it gets touched by the light, and what does God not see? No sparrow falls, right? And you're worth more than that. So, 
everything touched to the light gets illuminated. Everything that is touched by the light is light. And that is like, this is our hope, right? We are children of light. We are growing up into the image of God. Uh, and that to me like has an implication that just runs further than I think we wrap our heads around. So I can't help but notice, I'll finish with this as the last thing. Can't help but notice that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was doing all this secret stuff, and they're like, hey, you're doing it wrong. Like, this isn't how somebody gets known. This isn't how you show the world who you are. And it was on the other side of the world. But 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, we're talking about it. So it, apparently it worked. <laughs> it, it, but it's, it's like simultaneously, like I said, the best, worst-kept secret ever. Because we're talking all about it, but we're not, we're just, we're struggling to grasp, like, the beauty of what this is. So... That's the hiddenest theme in Matthew. I hope that you got something good out of that. And uh, I think it's just fascinating the way Jesus shows us who the Father is. So be blessed with your time at Pepperdine. Thank you.